The journey continues. If you can remember what I was preaching on last time, you're a better man than I. Uh, I do recall some of it. Um, but I remember that there was more I wanted to bring. And this is some of the more that I wanted to bring. But it always morphs into something else. So it's kind of a continuation. There is a theme and there is a river in God. As God is speaking to us. So if I just find the right. There we go. So a prophetic reminder. I would say this is possibly two to three years old. Uh, if you don't know what this means, I will tell you. A very long way away, a prophetic lady in South Africa had a prophetic dream. And in that prophetic dream, God gave her these coordinates and said, if I'm repeating this correctly, I hope I am, and said, revival will happen in this place. So it's 53 degrees 48 minutes north of the line, whichever one it is, and 1 degree 33 minutes west of Greenwich. And if you get a map and you look at your coordinates, you land in Leeds. Wow. Now, this lady did that. She got the map and found it. It was Leeds. But I'm in South Africa, Lord. So what's this about? Leeds. I've never been to Leeds. Don't think I've ever been to the UK. Well, what's all this about? And then she remembered. Ah, but I know a lady called Sandra Dufty. And she used to live in Leeds. I'll go and share that with Sandra. They might even have been living in Leeds at the time. I can't recall. But Sandra then shared that with the church because that's very encouraging, isn't it? Yes. yes. Amen. Definitely. So, God has spoken in a dream. Revival will come in this place, in the city of Leeds. So it's nice to have our friends here from the other fellowship up the road. Bless you. Can't remember. I'm sorry. I'm not very good with words and names. Um, because it's not just to Freedom Church, is it? It's to the church in Leeds. God wants to pour out revival. This is fantastic. So, God has spoken a thing. Does that mean it will come to pass? Yes. That's a rhetorical question. Yes, but it's nice to have the response. God has also spoken salvation to every man, woman, and child in history, but are all saved? No. Hmm. And not yet. Okay. And why not? Because they've either not heard the gospel yet, or they have, but they haven't acted upon the word of the gospel. Maybe they have, and they've hardened their, heart, hardened their hearts. They didn't believe. They didn't turn their lives to the Lord. They didn't choose to put Jesus first place. They didn't put the word into action. They didn't do something with it. Therefore, the gospel's of no use to them. But if they turn, immediately it will come into life. Praise God. So why am I using this analogy? No, we're not going backwards. We are going forwards. It's simply to help us understand how we work with the prophetic word. Simply because God said revival will come to this place, that is Leeds, doesn't mean that if we simply sit back and wait for it, it'll come. 
No. God speaks a word so we can respond to it and align. Firstly, we hear the word. Then we have a choice to receive the word. And then we have to keep it, which means we guard it, we keep it alive within us and among us, and we cherish it. We don't forget it. Now, just be honest with me. Put your hand up if you'd forgotten about that word about the latitude coordinates. High up so I can see if you'd forgotten. Now, thank you. That's honesty. I like it because that is human nature. We forget. Now, what I did, I knew I would forget that. So I scribbled down the numbers on a piece of paper, and I have this sort of stack of paper in a pigeonhole in, in our little office at home. And it's just got bits all over. It's just really annoying, actually. It's just bits everywhere. But they're all valuable bits, important bits. And I thought, oh, no, I hope I haven't screwed that up and thrown it away. Where is it? Where is it? Because I don't know what the coordinates are. And I'm hunting through. Ah, here's this scrappy bit of paper with those coordinates on. And every now and again, when I'm going through those papers and sorting things out and usually trying to find something, I come across it. I thought, oh, yes, God has said this thing. Praise the Lord. So we don't forget it. And it's really important that we don't. Because once we have that in our focus, we allow our plans and choices to be made in the light of that word. And that is where success comes. It says in Chronicles, doesn't it, about have faith in God and da-da-da and have faith in the prophets and you will succeed. So it's put your trust and focus and attention on what God says. Let that be your benchmark and you will be fruitful. You will have success. doesn't necessarily mean you won't have obstacles. But if you push through, you will have success. So the word becomes like a set of coordinates for us. What a surprise. Isn't that interesting? Okay. And the word sets our bearings. So we're headed in the right direction for God's plans. And in this instance, God has literally given us a set of coordinates by which to set our compass. Now then, got your Bibles? Good. Open up to Luke 8, verses 5 or 4 or 5 to 15. And if you don't have your Bibles, have you got your binoculars? I'm sorry, I've, I had to. That was as large as I could put it on the screen. That's only half of the passage. So we're going to read this out because in this passage we have the principle of keeping the word so i'll rush through fairly quickly jesus said this parable to the people who were following him a farmer went out to sow his seed and as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path it was trampled on and the birds ate it up some fell on rocky ground and when it came up the plants withered because they had no moisture other seed fell among thorns which grew up with it and choked the plants sometimes the word comes to us and it gets choked out doesn't it we forget hmm Okay, still other seed fell on good soil and it came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. That's fantastic. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear, let them hear. His disciples asked him what the parable meant. And he said, the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom has been given to you. But to others, I speak in parables. So 
Though seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy. When they, when they hear it, but they have no root. No, they believe for a while. Sorry, there's reflection on the screen and I can't see what I'm reading. The seed that's, They believe for a while, but in time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they're choked by life's worries, riches and pleasures, and they don't mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it. It's the word there, retain or keep. And by persevering, produce a crop. This passage is known by so many children, isn't it, who go to Sunday school. But it's so, so rich in truth. And I'm tempted to dive and go on a sidetrack but I won't but there's so much in there and I've highlighted the key thing I want us to look at which is that verse in red at the end about how you get there to the producing after that seed that was sown you know when God throws that word out to us we've got to catch it receive it take it keep it that's the hard bit because we drop it don't we we forget and we, oh yes and then we wonder why God doesn't seem to do things, why things don't seem to happen. But we can retain that word and bear fruit. Now, the word in the Greek for retain or keep literally means to hedge something about with thorns. Now, that's what they would have done in the olden times to protect their their sheep or whatever if there is, their crops, they would have guarded it about. Now, we have a hawthorn tree in our garden, and I need to prune it every so often. And I am telling you, those thorns could be two inches long, and they are evil. I don't think God created trees in the garden needing like that. I mean, I go up and I bang my head, and oh, right in there. And then it's, oh, I mean, they're like needles. They just go straight in. They hurt. They really do. So this thing is designed to protect what's within it. You're not going to struggle through to get it because you're going to get hurt if you do. But that's the principle. God wants us to have a ferocity about our guarding the words that he gives us and he speaks to us. Remember the word about the fact that we're to be called Freedom Church. Freedom. He wants us to live in freedom, to guard our freedom and to... Get more freedom. And we've got to press for that. Okay, so. Bear with me. So, what do we do with the words that God gives to us? Do we let them be stolen away? Let it be a provocation. Um, for young people, student among us. Any more students? I don't know where they are today, Jacob, but... Write down the things God says, because at this stage in your life, it will guide, help you focus for your future. And you'll go back and you'll look and see things being fulfilled. Think, wow, I remember now. And this has happened. And it builds your faith. And you realize, yeah, God is interested in my life and he is opening doors and guiding me. Let's not let these things be stolen away. So a key and important way in which to guard the word 
Not only to bring it is to not only to bring it to mind frequently, but it is to pray it. Okay, we bring it back to God in prayer. Lord, you've said this thing. Give us wisdom how we apply it. What steps must we must we take? As we pray for it to happen, we become aware, perhaps, of issues in our own lives or situations that need to change because they're hindering. The fulfillment of it. And we find ourselves having to make adjustments. And we might also become aware of practical steps to outwork these things. Actions that will help fulfill this word. Basically, we tune into heaven's strategy. We're starting to align to the radio waves of heaven. What else are you saying, Lord? Help us to hear that so we can take a step. And even if... You don't feel you hear anything in your place of vulnerability. You're saying, Lord, I'm open and I'm stepping. And God sees that response of faith and trust and he will open up the doors. He will speak when you need to hear a word. I rem reminded when I was applying for university courses and I was going to interviews and da 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 and they would send back, yes, you can have a place and yes, you can have a place. And I'm thinking, I don't know which one to go to. And you only could have so many, you could hold two or something. And so I would say to God, okay, so I've got Manchester and Sheffield. Uh, which one do you want me to throw away? Uh, excuse me, God, I'm talking. I said, I need to know which one do I reject, and so on. Didn't hear a dicky bird, but it didn't matter in the longer term. My trust was in him, and basically all the doors closed except one because I flunked my chemistry. So God knew, because I wasn't coming to Leeds, but here I am, and have been here more than half my life. That's God's plan. I could have said, but I, don't, I want to go to Sheffield. I really don't like Sheffield. I'm so glad I never went there. Praise God. God knew. No disrespect to anybody in Sheffield whatsoever. And those that work in Sheffield or near there. So why am I saying all this? Okay, we tune in to heaven's strategy. And when we pray, things can change. Now I'm saying can change because it's determined by the way you pray. Prayers like, oh, God, help, um, can work. But God actually has a better way for us. So what I want us to do is to have a little look at our authority and our standing in the place of prayer. And I was so blessed. <laughs> it's quite amusing, really. Um, Ben's not here, but he might listen. But anyway, if he's doing the talk or whatever, he will ask me, what is your preach on when I'm preaching? And I really don't like to give the game away. Well, and I kind of throw up a bit of a smoke screen. And it was like, well, no, I can't do that. He genuinely wants to know so he can tie in the kids thing. Now, what he did today bears no resemblance as to what I said to him at all. But it actually ties in completely with the heart of what I want to bring us to. So God knows. So I think, Ben, just trust the Holy Spirit. Don't ask me. Save your time and... Get on with what God's saying, because it ties in, doesn't it? So, let us look. We're going to pray, but we're not. We'll do that later. Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. Now, bear in mind, this is one of Paul's long sentences, so I'm coming in a bit way through. Okay? So, 
But God who is rich in mercy. No, 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 I'm going to start that again. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace we've been saved. We get the knickerbocker glory and the hundreds and thousands and the cream on top and the double flake. And he raised us up together and made us to sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow. That is something. If you are a believer today and have accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you and I are seated with him. You might think, well, that's all very flowery language. What does it really mean? It's meaningless. What? In the presence of royalty, you stand. You don't sit in the presence of the queen. You stand because we are her subjects. Until the king or queen says, please be seated. Or they might just say, be seated. Or not not say anything, just a little nod. Subjects, you may seat. But God has done something altogether different. Wow. He has seated us with him. Not just in front of him and lower than him. He seated us with him. That is something. It's as if he pushed the chair under us as we sat down at the table. He served us and then sat down beside us. That is what he has done. Come sit with me, he said. I want to sit with you. Now then, remember kids in school. I'm sure we were all there. I want to sit next to so-and-so. No, let me. It's not fair. I want to sit there. They want to fight about who they sit next to. Usually the most popular member or the visitor that's coming to the club. Can I sit there? Can I sit? Can I be beside, beside the teacher? Please. I'm, it's not fair. There's all this argy-bargy, isn't there? Because there's something about sitting with somebody that is significant. And there were always the ones that Nobody wanted to sit beside them. I'm not sitting with them. And you would kind of shrink away if we were forced to sit beside them. Not with them. There's a stigma attached to it. Now, sitting beside someone actually says something, doesn't it? Whether you like it or not, it says, I am associated with you. Because I'm sitting beside you. It's a non-verbal message that says... By sitting beside someone, you are willing to be identified with them. Okay? I was thinking about this. It's really quite a profound thing. And then I got to thinking about, like on a bus or a train, and there's a spare seat beside you. People are walking up and down thinking, there's no other spare seats. uh, Excuse me, uh, is that seat taken? I was like, clearly not, you know. (laughs) But we do it, don't we, British politeness. But there's something about intruding into that space because people looking on may make the assumption you're together. You are associated. You are linked in some way. And God is saying that to us. We are associated with him. We are linked. He identifies with us. (coughs) 
God is saying, hey, I like you. Sit with me. I'm willing to be identified with you. In Hebrews 2.11, he said that he's not ashamed to call us brothers. You know, you've heard the expression, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your family, which is usually indicating family, oh, I have to put up with them. But you choose your friends, don't you? Well, do you know what? God has not only, um, not only called us friends, but he's made us his family. So he's got no way out now. We are related to the living God now by the Holy Spirit. We are part and parcel of his flesh and blood, if you like. And he made that choice. He said, you are part of me now. And I can never disown you because I can't disown my arm. It's attached to me. I can't get rid of it. Oh, get off me. No, it's going to be there. That's us and God. Intricately linked together. And why is that? How is that? Do you know, it's simply because we have accepted his invitation of love. We have believed him. We've believed in the one he sent. Jesus, who was sent into the world, not to condemn the world, but to save it. Unless, of course, you reject that offer. And therefore, you just stand condemned already. But this Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth, is willing to call us his brothers. And God the Father is willing to accept us along with his son, Jesus, by seating us with him in heavenly places. Okay. Now you may be asking, what and where exactly are these heavenly places? What are they? This is a bit like weird. What are you talking about? Okay. Well, let's have a look. Ephesians 1, verses 19 to 21. Again, it's the middle of a very long sentence, but catch the flavor. Right. And I put it in bold in case you miss it. Right. And he's talking about, well, anyway, let's see. What is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead? And seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above. Everybody say, far above. above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named. Not only in this age, but in the one to come. This is profound. This is too big to process. It breaks the boundaries. It shatters your precepts, it is so phenomenal a truth that you kind of just pass by it because it's too big to pick up and look at and examine. It's that massive. But the truth of the matter is, if you will stop and pause and think about it, we have been seated high above, way over stuff. Seated with him, far above every power, rule and government. Yeah, we are seated spiritually in this place right now because we've believed in Jesus. It deserves a teaching in its own right, <laughs> teaching sessions. But we have been seated above every other name, above the name of sickness and disease, above fear 
above doubt, above condemnation, you name it, we have been seated and joined with him. The name above every other name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Praise the Lord. Every knee will bow. In heaven, on earth and under the earth, every knee will bow to the name of Jesus. That is so phenomenal. But do we see that yet? Not quite. But we will. And this is what we need to encourage our hearts with. It is coming to pass. And we can reach forward and bring into our here and now this truth and reality. We can break down the things which deny that truth. That stand in the face of it. And we could say, no, God says I'm in him. All I need is in him and I, in, I am in him. Bear with me as I just find where I was. We are on a par with Jesus. Let's just catch up. We are far above. Far higher than the mountaintops. And Ephesians three, twelve, In him, that is Jesus, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Now this is the point of what I'm getting to. It's like Ben was showing us, well, do you, do you want just one scoop? Okay, God, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, that, that's really nice. Thanks, God. I want to give you another scoop and another scoop. Is that okay? Well, well okay, all right. Good. Well, how about a flake? Well, if you insist, uh, and sprinkles, and, uh, and squirty cream, and, 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 and a bigger pot. I tell you, let's tip it out and put it in a bigger pot, and you can have more. How do we approach God when we pray? Yes, with reverence, with honor and due respect but it's like a little child like little christopher running up to daddy he doesn't say excuse me daddy um do you have a moment um can i speak to you for a minute he says daddy i'm hungry he just dives in he doesn't think about protocol he throws himself on ben sometimes he's like whoa wasn't ready for that you know you can't catch God out. He's ready always, whenever you throw yourself on him. The NASB translation of this, New American Standard, says it this way. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence. Okay. We have bold and confident access to God the Father. That is wonderful. Well, I've sinned and I've messed up and I don't deserve it. You do, actually, because it's been, the price has been paid once for all. It doesn't have to be paid again. The law of double jeopardy, apparently you can't try the same thing twice. And the law of God, sin has been paid for. It's been tried and Jesus took it for us. We are now free. It makes you feel like, I don't deserve it, God. Well, you don't. But I love you and I, it's been paid for now. So now I can love you properly. And there's no barrier between you and me anymore. And yet we approach God and say, well, Father, I just, just wonder. And we mumble a prayer. And Father, speak to me. What do you want? I want to know. Tell me everything. Just say what it was like today. And how do you feel? Yeah, you're angry. You're cross and you're swearing. And that doesn't faze me. What do you need? Speak to me. Be honest. Be real. That is what God wants. He just wants your heart. Be real with him because he understands. And ask big. 
Because he's inexhaustible. He's got so much more. So much more that he wants to give us. And we cannot exhaust him. What's the next one say? Yeah, Hebrews 4.16. We're encouraged and exhorted to approach the throne of grace with boldness. You know, there's a key thing about this because the way we approach, the way we pray determines how much we get. Not that I'm preaching a get it gospel, but there's this divine interaction going on and we can restrict God if we don't allow him. You know, Paul says, open wide your hearts to me, O Corinthians. You know, we have the capacity to close off our heart or to open our heart. The wider we open our heart to God, the more he can put in. Just let him love you. Just let him do it. We can come before him boldly, not sheepishly, fearfully or shamefaced. No, with boldness. The Father accepts us. Glory to God. So, I'm bringing this right down. You know, Google Earth, it goes... Zones in. Freedom Church in All Saints School today. We've arrived. Okay. It's got to be practical, hasn't it? It's got to be meaningful. So, regarding this word to Leeds, about revival, wow, what does it look like? I don't know, really. Hmm, what does it mean? Well, that's a good question. Uh, do we have to do anything? Yeah, well, what do we do? Hmm, I'm not sure. Okay, so we have to listen to heaven. Now, our journey has been, God spoke about relocating to the east side of the city. So we've come. We've found a place to start. We've begun doing this stuff. We need to keep listening to heaven. We need to keep tuning in. We need to keep praying. What do you want us to do, Lord? We pray for God's kingdom to come. That's a bit woolly again. How does that What does it look like? And God wants to partner with us. He doesn't just want to do revival over there in a corner on his own. He's actually saying, I want to do it with you. I want to sit with you on the coach journey to revival. I want to share time with you and I want to tell you some stuff. He wants to whisper secrets. He wants to say, see that person over there that's just walked in. Just go and talk to them. (sighs) Holy Spirit is in us. Prompting, nudging, tiny little things. But that person, we didn't know, has just gone through trauma. We just smiled, said hello, would you like a cup of tea? That could have been their turning point. Don't go there. But this is it. This is what we do. We begin to work with God. Okay, but I can't do great things. Well, you can, but it starts small. But out of little acorns, giant oak trees grow. Do not despise the day of small things and don't write yourself off. Do you know, God just loves to do stuff with us. 
We don't have to twist his arm or persuade him. He wants to do it. All he's looking for is a willingness and an openness. So, where do we get to? Practically. Okay, so let's zone it back in. We're still in heavenly places, by the way. We can pray. Pray for our leaders. Mark and Kathy, John and Kate, Paul and Lisa, Ben and Hannah, Pete and Pat. Pray for each other. Pray for wisdom. Pray we catch God's heart for this area. Pray for divine appointments. Pray the Holy Spirit begins convicting men and women and families of their need for him. Do you know that is a powerful prayer we can overlook? We wonder why things are so hard. I remember praying for my brother-in-law that God would soften his heart. I might have shared this testimony before. He's very hard, very black and white dismissive. And I just started praying God, soften his heart, soften his heart. And he lives down south, so I don't see him very often. And a few months later, I went down and saw them. And we were just talking, having a conversation. He said, you know, uh, one of my colleagues at work, you know, we kind of do mentoring and things. He just said, Craig, you're very hard hearted, aren't you? I think you need to soften up a bit. It was something to do with that. And it was like, how interesting is that? I've been praying God soften his heart. And God has used somebody that he would listen to, because he doesn't listen to everybody, to confront him with the real issue. Ah, so he receives that word and starts working with it to soften his heart and become aware. Maybe, well, maybe I'm a bit harsh, maybe I'm a bit abrupt with people. The prayer of softening hearts is really powerful. The prayer of opening eyes, again, is powerful because people are blinded. But the Holy Spirit can remove those scales if we pray and see those things removed. So we also can pray for protection and covering on us as Freedom Church. And we are going to, in a few moments, get you stirred up. We're going to be praying a bit more for the cafe event this week and the outreach, okay? Bearing in mind who we are. We can ask big. I hope Holy Spirit has been stirring you because there's much, much more, so much more that he wants to do, but he can only work with our capacity of what we give him. But God wants to respond. I want us in closing to look at this one. Listen to this. Job, by the way, is the oldest book in the Bible. That was the first one that was written, apparently. So it's before the Psalms were penned and David's revelations of God and our relationship with him. And even before the New Testament, when Jesus came and revealed this personal relationship. But if you want to look up Job 22, um, it's about the middle of the Bible. It's before Psalms. It's a fantastic passage. I love it. And I've talked about it before. Um, But this particular verse in verse 28 says, You will decree a thing and it will be established. Whoa. Let's just put it in context and read what it says. I'm going to go from verse 21 of chapter 22 of Job. It's got lots of riches here. And I'm sorry, but I just like it. So I'm going to read it. Now acquaint yourself with him and be at peace. Thereby good will come to you. Receive, please, instruction from his mouth and lay up his words in your heart. 
If you return to the Almighty, you will be built up. What an encouragement. Turn to God and he'll just build you back up. You will remove iniquity far from your tents. Then you'll lay your gold in the dust and the gold of Ophir among the stones of the brooks. Yes, the Almighty will be your gold and your precious silver. Then you will have your delight in the Almighty and lift up your face to God. You will make your prayer to him. He will hear you and you will pay your vows. You will also declare a thing and it will be established for you. So light will shine on your ways. When they say, cast you down, and you say, exaltation will come, and that's translated in various ways in different Bibles. It's a little confusing. Then he will say to the humble person, then he will, sorry, save the humble person. He will, now listen to this. This is a key thing. He will, this is God, will even deliver one who is not innocent. Yes, he will be delivered by the purity of your hands. We are purified by the finished work of Jesus. We can stand in the gap for those who aren't pure. Those who are in their sin. Those who are in darkness. And they can be delivered because of the purity of our hearts. And that's what God has done. You might think, well, I'm not really pure. Well, actually, you are. Because Jesus has made it. He's whitewashed you. He's clothed you with robes of righteousness. Yeah, you might be out working stuff, but you are righteous to come before the Father with no hindrance. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances. To anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means... We love.